Well, well now we have our teaching. Um, Linda Soltis is going to bring it to us. And uh, let me pray for you, Linda, as you launch into this. Lord, we just ask for your blessing to be upon this time of teaching uh, that Linda is bringing to us. Uh, pour out your spirit upon her. Um, speak through her words, through her reflection, through her meditation on scripture. Um, we, we are hungry to know and to understand and to um, experience revelation through, um, through your word. So I just pray for that this morning. We pray for a blessing on this time and on Linda and all of the knowledge that she brings to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> Good to be with you all. I must say, this is a bit of a confession and an affirmation at the same time. Um, for me, church in the summer is awesome, except that it's beautiful out. And so I wake up and I think, we could go on a picnic, we could go on a hike. Oh, it's Sunday. We're going to go to church first. It'll be good, but it's a bit of a sacrifice. However, in the winter, <laughs> I wake up and I think, church, <laughs> there's something to do today. And it's extra joyous, so I'm extra happy to be here with you in the midst of a snowy Wisconsin Sunday. I'm going to grab my notes quick. Yeah, so the title of my sermon is uh, Unforgiveness, a Joy Leak. Um, and I want to, before I launch into it, I want to give us context with the book we're going through as a church. We're, we're going through the other half of church, and we've been focusing on the chapter about joy. Now, in that chapter, they mention this thing called joy leaks, which kind of self-descriptive. It's like you're feeling good as a follower of, a follower of Christ. You have your community. You're having your disciplines. But maybe there's something tapping away at your joy. And maybe you're feeling frustrated. You're feeling lonely at times. So they, they outline some of those. They talk about uh, screens, being on your screen too much, which... Can I just get a show of hands? Does that ever feel like a joy leak to you? If you're on your screen too much? Yeah, I think that's spot on. Um, they also talk about trauma and emotional dysregulation, you know, where you feel like your emotions are kind of getting the better of you. There's no sense, there's no way to come back to joy when you're in a state of anger. Um, and then they talk about narcissism too. And as I was looking at it, I felt like, man, there's something here that kind of connects with all these things, but he's, they're not quite talking about it overtly. And I feel like it comes up later. There'll be later. There'll be a chapter on attachment, a chapter on conflict. And I was like, I think it's unforgiveness. I think there's this like thing that gets in the way of our relationships on many dimensions, and uh, I think it's unforgiveness. And also, you know. Peter and Scott asked me to talk about joy, but as a mental health professional, I'd just rather talk about bitterness, you know? <laughs> I really would, so that's kind of what got me going. 
So, okay, I'm not going to hide the definition from you. Um, <laughs> I'd like to get just a little bit of engagement. Um, there's a fair amount of brave souls here today, despite the weather. Um, I would like to hear just your, your thoughts on what, forgive, what forgiveness is. So if anyone wants to share, you can raise your hand and I'll bring your mic. There's no wrong answer. You can just give part of an answer if you want. Forgiveness is giving up the uh, the right to speak poorly of someone. Ooh, very good. I think that I think there's something related to like releasing resentment. You you feel like even like entitled to because of what somebody did to you. Ooh, very That's good what too. I said. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's <clears throat> letting go of a grievance. Okay. Yeah. And it takes time. Ooh. It's not, it's a process of healing, too. It takes time. It's more than a transaction. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it's letting go of control over keeping a record of what what that wrong someone did. My experience is that forgiveness is a choice mm. more than a feeling. I think it's miraculously exotic mm-hmm. in that you have to have some gra- miraculous grace to be able to exercise it and do it. Yeah. keep wanting to focus on the give part so I'm going to say it's the giving of the release, you're giving that release not only to yourself but to the person that you're holding something against I like to forget about it and put it in the past like forgive and forget Hmm. you guys are rocking it today (laughs) how about seeing the other person in the way that God intended them to be rather than the way that they currently are. Do you guys want to preach this sermon? (laughs) Yeah, those are all excellent answers. They're they're all very nuanced, too. Do I have to turn this off, or can I just put it? I don't know. Let's put it here. Um, Yeah, so I don't think I could really add much to your answers. I have a concise sort of answer I want to show you, because I think it'll give us a nice platform to discuss off of. So this um, definition is taken from Forgiveness is a Choice. It's a book by Robert Enright. Uh, He's actually a UW professor who studies forgiveness. I'm sure most of you are familiar with his name. Um, So his definition is, and, and I think it's right in line with what the Bible teaches about it. When unjustly hurt, by another, we forgive when we overcome the resentment toward the offender, not by denying our right to the resentment, but instead by trying to offer the wrongdoer, you have some gift, you know, a gift there, 
uh, compassion, benevolence, and love. As we give these, we are as forgivers, we as forgivers realize that the offender does not necessarily have a right to such gifts. What do you guys think of that? Just some, do you guys think that's pretty good? Cohesive? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm a, I'm a psychotherapist, so I meet with people one-on-one, and we talk about stuff going on in their lives. I had a really interesting meeting just last week with a man. He had been quite, quite hurt in the past. Um, and I noticed when we were talking, he didn't really want to talk about that. He had worked through all that. But I noticed when we were talking, there was just like some sort of cynicism in his voice. There's like a, a tight grip on boundaries. There's just something going on. And so I asked him what his thoughts were about forgiveness and if forgiveness might be something he'd want to explore for his life. And he was very frank with me. He's like, Linda, what would forgiveness give me? What's, what would that do for me? And I said, well, like, forgiveness is when you feel benevolence and you feel happy for someone who wronged you. You want them to have good things in their life. When you, when you draw them up in your imagination, you hope the best. And he was like, okay, if someone hurt me and then on their own life, without me hurting them, they failed, like they were devastated. Don't I have the right to feel good about that? Oh. And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, don't you think, don't you feel good sometimes when like someone who injured you is, like their life isn't working out for them? You're kind of like, you had it coming. Like that's very reasonable. And so, yeah, I said, exactly. You're exactly right. That's very reasonable. That's not forgiveness, though. (laughs) You know, forgiveness is, there's a mystical offering in it. It doesn't make sense. It is absolutely not something that feels right or natural. But I told them, the thing is, is like, when you forgive, the biggest benefiter is you. You're the one. You're the one who's gifted back. Now, is that not mystical? I mean, that's kind of what Lori was hinting at. There is really a mystic power. It's, it's like a dose of medicine that tastes bitter maybe when you're first walking into it, but it heals your body. It, it really does give you back. And this idea of death to self, of, um, you know, before you can grow, you must die. This is throughout the Bible. This is an image. This is like uh, a pattern that God created us to operate under. And it, it is a mystery. And so I think there's maybe something freeing in embracing that. You know, this isn't something we have to try to make sense of. This is a mystical gift And when we use it, God knows, because he created us, when we use it as humans, it blesses us. It heals us. 
So we're going to kind of dive in to a picture in the Bible that I think really demonstrates what it's like when you, when you don't forgive. So this is what I call Lamech versus Jesus. It's a, it's a question in Matthew 18 that Jesus is asked by a disciple. In Matthew 18, 21, he um, is asked by Peter. They were talking previously before this, they were talking about conflict. Like, how do you handle conflict in the church in a healthy way? And then he says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? That seems pretty generous. Um, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. It's just that outrageous number. And Jesus is really doing a really um, like literarily crafty thing here. So the, the other place in the Bible where it has these numbers set up this way is all the way back in Genesis. Um, in Genesis 4, you get a little bit of an insight into, this, into the mind of this man named Lamech. And Lamech is a descendant of Cain. So he carries with him this heritage of revenge, of vengeance. And you see it. He writes a poem. He says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. He's boasting says if someone hurts Cain and he's avenged seven times, which is something it's an allusion to something earlier in the Bible, then for me, Lamech, I'm going to double down on this, triple down on this, blow it out of proportion. And this is a culture. This is a culture he's in. And so what Jesus is doing very succinctly is saying, my culture's different. Like if there's a culture of vengeance out there where you get to pay back for your hurts, I'm setting up a new world here where instead of paying back, we actually offer a gift to the wrongdoer, the gift of forgiveness, and there's not a limit to it. And I think what this gives us is sort of a forced choice here. You know, if we don't take the path of forgiveness, perhaps we're taking a path of vengeance. You know, maybe there's not this middle ground we can sit in. It's kind of interesting to consider. So if forgiveness is this great mystical gift that brings healing, why don't we always want to do it? Um, So we're going to explore a little bit about that. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is maybe we believe that it condones the wrongdoing. That seems pretty reasonable. You don't want to perpetuate a bad thing. You don't want to let someone off the hook for doing something that hurts others. So there's some things we can clear up here. Um, You know, forgiveness doesn't require a reunion. There are some situations um, where a reunion with someone who's hurt you would not be safe. It wouldn't be wise or prudent. And that's not what forgiveness requires. Forgiveness does not require restoration. You know, if someone has hurt someone from a position of authority and they need to be taken down from that place of authority and be corrected, 
Forgiveness doesn't require us to put them back in their position. That would also be unwise. It doesn't fit with the Bible, teachings on conflict and um, authority. Forgiveness is not an obligation. You know, sometimes we wouldn't want to forgive because we don't want to do something that doesn't feel natural, and we don't want to be forced to do it. And it's not an obligation. It is a gift, something we give from our hearts. Forgiveness is not letting someone get away with something either. You know, there is definitely a place for justice and forgiveness to go hand in hand. And the difference between justice and vengeance is that vengeance is when we want someone to get back some in more because there's a pleasure about it. You know, we would be very happy if this person suffered, especially if they suffered a little more than we suffered. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you can get in touch with that part of you. Uh, Justice is when someone pays a fair penalty for something they did that was wrong, even if the person that they wronged wouldn't delight in it. Like, even if it's not something the person who was wronged wants, they still get it. There's, there's a scale to be justly uh, leveled. So that's a, a little bit of a difference. So forgiveness and justice can go hand in hand. Um, if someone has to pay, you know, if someone gets in trouble with the law and you're involved and you were wronged, the law takes this course and you can still forgive them from your heart. You know, there's still an offering where you can think about them and hope for the best for them. And yet they still pay the penalty in order to keep society safe. So there's like some nuance. Is this making sense? Okay. Rock on. <laughs> um, some other reasons that forgiveness isn't always the path we take is that anger feels really good. It is. It's a juicy emotion. It makes you feel like, like you're on a, a moral high sometimes, right? It's cleansing. Get angry. It just feels good. Um, even if it's also feeling awful. Enright has a thought about um, anger. He says it's a lot like alcohol in that it, a little bit feels good, but a lot of it can get, can get you sick and can be addictive. You can get ritualistic about your anger. Um, Unforgiveness can also justify us remaining the way we are. You know, if we've been hurt and we haven't forgiven, you know, we're still kind of hanging on to that bitterness, we can use that situation as a tool in other situations. We can justify... I'm going to make us tell you a little story to clarify this point because I think it will be helpful. Um, so I have met someone, I have worked with someone who is 80. She's an elderly woman. And when she was 30, she was very young, she was interested in this guy. And she said to him, she said, do you think we could be more than friends? I'm interested in you. And the guy was like, you know, I don't feel the same way, but I have some friends I could introduce you to. 
And she was, felt a lot of rejection from that. And it's unclear if he meant to, to hurt her or not, but she felt hurt. And since that moment, every relationship she's had, friendship, you know, romantic relationship, family relationship, she scans it for rejection. So the moment anyone says anything, it doesn't have to be a wrong or like an insult, she'll immediately say, well, I felt rejection back then. I think that's what's happening now. I'm going to end this relationship. And this has been her life's work. Like, it's now so encrusted. It's, a, it's her personality. It's the scaffolding of her emotions. And it's something to behold, and it's not unusual. I mean, I wonder if we've all, you know, held on to things so they've grown a little bit inside of us. Um, but then you start to depend on it. You know, it's not just this thing that's going on inside of you. It's like part of you. And so forgiveness would be taking away part of you. You know, it's letting go of that which doesn't serve you anymore, but it's still a death. And so that's a reason maybe you don't want to do it. Sometimes we think it's benign. Uh, we think, like, you know, someone hurt me, but I'm doing okay. That person's doing okay. I think I can let sleeping dogs lie. And that sounds reasonable. There's a couple things to think about, though. One is, when you think about that person, do you feel love for them? And if you do feel love for them, perhaps that was not a situation where forgiveness was needed. Perhaps there was a small offense that you can have grace for, you know, that you can be the bigger person. I think that happens. But if you don't have love, if you don't wish for their well-being, then I don't think this is going to be a benign thing. I think this is going to grow a little bit. And you may not notice it, but it'll, it'll grow slowly and subtly until it starts shifting your worldview. Um, so just something to think about. You know, I think we talked about before, sometimes we believe hanging on to our anger brings justice. And... I don't know how that even works. I know the feeling of it, but it's all happening inside of you. It's not like being angry at this person is bringing any sort of reform in their life, right? It's bringing you a lot of reform in a negative way. It's making you waste a lot of emotional energy. It's making you cynical. It's making you bring up your boundaries more. Is it doing much to this other person? Likely not. And so I don't think it's a cause for justice. I think that might be a a reasonable feeling, an unreasonable statement. Like it, it, I don't think it adds up. We don't think it is emotionally possible to forgive. I think this is a really understandable situation. I think we could probably all think of wrongs we've suffered. It's quite frankly too much to think of forgiving. And that's okay, because I think there's tools for us, right? Like we have a God who offers us a mystical gift in this. This isn't like a work we necessarily have to do on our own. Um, so when it feels emotionally impossible to forgive, we might think about the reasons why. Is it because we feel like this person is starting to become less than human in our mind? You know, this person isn't like a holistic person anymore. 
This is a person who has just done us wrong. And that's all they are. That would be hard to forgive. So one thing you can do about that is you can start enhancing a person's humanity in your mind. This person wasn't just a wrongdoer. They had like a life. You know, they, they're loved by God. You can start nurturing that image in your mind instead of nurturing the image of just getting back at them. You know, you can start thinking about the complications of the situation. Did you have a small part in it? That's often the case. It's uncomfortable to think about our part and our hurt, but it's a good thing to do. And there's recognizing God's love for us too, which can help us be more generous or just feel more fortified for the task of forgiveness. Yeah, which one? The one I just said? Uh, Engaging in God's love for us can fortify us for the task of forgiveness. You know, when we feel loved and affirmed by God, we're more generous with our emotions. Like we're more, we see possibility. Whereas the, the opposite of that, right, fear, we see less possibility. Um, And I think there's even a case here for just making the choice to forgive brings up possibility itself. You know, in the Bible it says, like, knock and the door will be open. Seek and ye shall find. And it's just a true um, part of psychology. It's like the moment you declare something a possibility, even if you don't feel it, is the moment it becomes possible. That's the moment, like, the abyss starts to, like, have a walkway in it. Um, You find strength where you've just ruled out strength. It's just part of opening your mind. And so I think just using the word impossible to forgive isn't a true statement. Because we can switch our minds and say, it's possible. I could forgive someone today. I could forgive this person today. And our minds will create, will start doing the work. It's the way God designed us. There's There's a powerhouse in our minds for these kinds of tasks. Um, so yeah, there's, there's these two paths, these two, you know, forgiving and not forgiving. Um, the Bible gives a couple compelling pictures on the, fact, on the idea that these things aren't just like a transaction you do and it's done. You either forgive or you don't forgive. It's more like you make a choice and you start to go down a path. And there's things to come. And it's good to be aware, either way, what's coming. So there's this Proverbs that I, I, I just love. Proverbs 4.18. It's up in our house. We think about it a lot as a family. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining bright, ever brighter till the full light of day. So if you can visualize that, maybe you're up early this morning, I don't know. It starts... You know, with just a little bit of light. It's just, you can only see like a little bit of light. And then as the day progresses, everything is revealed. By midday, like everything can be seen. And these are the, the gifts that God has given us in things like forgiveness. Um, when we follow his, his virtues, his wisdom, it starts off with like a small light. And then as we manifest it, like as we inhabit it, like we are forgiving people, it starts to touch other things. It starts to expand us as, pe- as a person. 
and it blesses our community, it blesses our children. There's like an ever-broadening ripple effect that happens when we follow any given wisdom from the Bible. I think forgiveness is a perfect example of this. We become more compassionate people. We find freedom. We really realize that in Christ, like, no chain can bind us. Like, someone can hurt us, and we can still be free. It's a really crazy thing. I, I feel like I take it for granted. It's, it's really quite miraculous. So it, I like this because it's a good mental image. You know, if I, if I just follow God in faith, things are going to start to shift and change, and I'll start to see the full ramifications of this. There's kind of a contrast here. So then Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain that grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. No root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So there's, an, there's a process there too. We let a root of bitterness, it doesn't just stay a small root. It starts getting into us. And it doesn't just get into us, right? We're so connected. As humans, we're, we're like the most social being there is, the most social organism. Like We literally can't live without being connected. And if we're bitter, it's going to get on our closest relationships. And suddenly our, our vision of life will start shifting. You know, if you're, uh, maybe a common example of this is, um, I meet lots of, you know, women. They were, they were, the wrongdoer in their story is a man. So every man is a wrongdoer. Every man is dangerous. Or if, you know, you're a man, if you were hurt by a woman, Women are untrustworthy. You know, it's a worldview that takes a hold and starts infecting your, the way you interact. You start closing your mind to things and people. You become rigid. And there's a, a real activity happening. It's kind of like a, you know, like a compost pile. You don't see anything happening. But you know that it is happening in there, right? Like, there's processes without your touching them that are continuing. So I, I think it's very sobering. Um, makes, makes us kind of want to do something about it because we don't want roots growing. You know, this is not a benign thing. Okay, so I'm going to, I have some practical steps. Um, my, my idea for today was to keep the sermon short because I think the most powerful thing we can do is just engage in it in and of itself. Um, so I'm going to have Betsy come up, and she's going to lead us in some worship, just because I think it would be good to be in touch with God, be, have, a, have that open mind of possibility. And then I do have some prompts that... Um, Zach, do you want to hand out paper? That we'll, we'll get to after the song. So I'm going to keep, keep the prompts away until after the song, and then I'll put it on, and just have you follow through on some of those questions. Um, maybe just one more thought. I don't want to muddy the water here, but I want to just put it in your mind that there's potentially some 
things you heard about that maybe you need to like go back and clarify, right? Like, um, one example is, like I am in charge of picking up my family after I go to work. I drive from work, I drive to Sun Prairie, I pick up my kids, and then I drive to the Capitol, I pick up Zach, and then we all go home. So this is like a, a cranky time of day, to say the least. <laughs> everyone's tired, everyone's hungry, everyone's depleted. Um, and so it's not uncommon that when I get to Zach's office, I'll wait till the papers are turned out. It's getting a little... It is. It's making me. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> no, I asked him to do this, so it's one of the complicated examples. All right. Thank you, Zach. So when I get to Zach's office, I've usually called him ahead of time. I'm like, okay, we're going to be there at 5:15. I want you to be ready to hop in the car with the kids. <laughs> And yeah. he says, sure, sounds great. I'll be ready at 5.15. And then I get there, and I look up into his window. I can see him from the parking lot. And he's on the phone. <laughs> like, oh, man, he's on the phone. We're hungry. We're crabby. Not good. And so I text him, like, Zach, where are you? <laughs> and he can't reply. He's on the phone. And so, you know, 10 minutes go by, and I'm just steaming. Like, I'm an emotional being. I have, I feel it. And it comes like a tsunami. And I'm angry. And I've been wronged. And then he comes to the car. Like, opens the door. Hi. We're all just mad. And, you know, I ask him, like, what is up? Like, it's been 10 minutes. Everyone's cranky. And he says, I'm so sorry. Like, I, I got a phone call. I couldn't text while I was on the phone. And I couldn't not take this call. And, okay, there's, there's no one who did anything wrong in this situation. You know, the person who called him didn't do anything wrong to me. Zach didn't do anything wrong to me. Am I mad? Do I feel like something happened? Yeah, I do. But as I parse it out, it's, it's really an opportunity for me to grow. You know, it's an opportunity for me to have some patience, some, you know, strength of character, some creativity. There's lots of opportunity here for me. And so there's just some things that happen in life. I mean, you've all lived these out where there may have been a misunderstanding. And maybe you need to go back and talk to the person about it. Maybe you were hurt by something someone said. And if you just confront them, say, look, I got to tell you, I've been stewing on this thing you said last week. And I feel really hurt. I'm wondering if you could say more what you meant by it. And it could be that it was a misunderstanding. It could be they, you misheard them even. Um, it's just something good to suss out in all of this. Forgiveness is really reserved for the clear, deep wrongs. And it's a great antidote for that. For some of the other things in life, there's opportunities to grow in our tolerance, in our grace, in our patience for someone's maturity. And sometimes that's a little confusing. So I just wanted to put that in your minds, something to kind of parse out um, and then maybe, okay, this is what I'll do. Sorry, Betty, Betsy. I'm, gonna, okay. I'm sitting. I'll just identify these in case they seem unclear a little bit. So we're going to have a, some worship time, and then I'm going to have 
um, Betsy do some instrumental music. And it's time for you, with God, with a pen and a paper, to kind of grapple any of these areas. You know, maybe you need to identify an area of unforgiveness. Maybe you haven't really been thinking about it. Uh, life gets busy. We have our screens, you know. Our show is like, maybe we don't have time to reflect on the levels of bitterness that might be growing or not growing in us. So that might be a good place to start. Um, spending time embracing God's forgiveness of you. This is not something we have to do on our own. Maybe that's a, a place to cultivate. And then if you're like, no, I have, I have someone in mind. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure they wronged me, and I'm feeling pretty hurt about it. One step could be to enhance the humanity of the wrongdoer. Like in your mind, if, if they've clearly become a wrongdoer, this is who they are. The truth is that's not who anyone is, right? God created us to be so much more than that, and that's in us, that's in everyone. So we can enhance this person in our mind. We can say, you know, I wonder about their upbringing. I wonder if they were tired. I wonder if they were, had a lot of needs unmet. I wonder how this person did this to me. I wonder if there's some reasons that I could have compassion for. I'm not saying it was right. I'm just saying we're all human. Let's, let's keep our humanity and our belief in each other's humanity alive. And another a powerful step if you actually want to activate the act of forgiving is to pray a blessing over the person who harmed you. It's an amazing feeling. It's just like almost the most powerful thing we can do as humans. It goes against like so many laws of like emotion and nature itself. Um, and, and remembering that it's a process. You know, it's not a transaction. This is a thing we inhabit. I think that's the power of it. We inhabit it, and that's how it grows. It becomes like a lifestyle, not just a, a moment. So um, I'm going to let Betsy take it away here. And just enjoy your time. Enjoy your time with God. Enjoy your time journaling with your own mind. And I'll close us at the end. So. <clears throat> The hour.
All right, I just want to add one more note at the end. Hopefully, hopefully that gave you a little space to just sort of start, you know, like take the first step in whichever area seems appropriate. Maybe you felt a little bit of relief or hope or just a change. There's some things to, 
to really relish if you feel them. You know, as we enjoy um, the gifts of forgiveness and we take time to really relish in them, Working? Okay. Um, yeah, just the more we enjoy what's good, we want to do what's what's good. Um, just as if we enjoy what's not good for us, we start to want it more. It's just a craving we can develop. So the last thing I just want to make a note of is, you know, some hurts are really traumatic. You know, they're things that really change our lives. And in those times, it might be a good idea to seek a professional help. You know, you don't have to do this stuff alone. There's lots of of people to help you. And just, it's, it's a good thing to do. It's not a, a shame thing to find help. It's a, it's a brave thing and a very good thing. Um, and also, Peter Horton has lots of resources for prayer counseling. If you want to get prayer over something that you feel has really got you, you know, you're really stuck in, it was a really deep hurt, um, that's also something you can pursue. And then I also wanted to mention I, I used two books a lot when I was develop, you know, thinking through these thoughts. Uh, one is Forgiveness is a Choice by Robert Enright, and I just can't say enough good things about this book. It is so useful. It's so life-giving. Um, they get really practical in steps and nuances. And if this is a thing you really feel like you want to spend time working on, it's a great book. Totally worth it. Um, a shorter book that's a little more philosophical, but very good too, is The Art of Forgiving by Lewis Mead. Um, so I have these up if you want to like take a picture of them, if you want to reference them later. <laughs> um, 